0: We do not know just how in awe those disciples may have been. We do not even know how much of what was happening they really understood. What we do know is that looking back 2,000 years later, the time they spent on that hillside with the Master changed the course of history. It changed the course of history because God Himself sat down on a rock and taught a mere group of mortals the difference between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. Difference is really not a fair word, though. There were no similarities. You could almost take the concepts of man, even as they'd been filtered through the lens of Jewish self-righteousness, and simply reverse each principle to find the mind of God. The kingdom of man, you see, was geared for the man that knew he could. The kingdom of God was geared for the man who knew he couldn't. The kingdom of God was designed for the aggressor, the happy, the arrogant, the achiever, the performer. The kingdom of God was designed for the meek, the lowly, the mourner, the persecuted, the searcher. Everything man had always taught himself about success was scrapped on that hillside in favor of a new way of life, a a way of life man could not even achieve without a miracle. That miracle proved to be the indwelling spirit who would come to live in man and do through man what man himself could not do. Now, had you and I been with that group on that hillside, I don't know what we would have thought. But I can imagine. This amazing man who, who claimed to be more than man was talking about things like adultery of the mind and murder of the heart and singleness of the eye. But more than that, he... Just as he seemed to capture their imaginations with these diverse precepts, he stopped and he looked them straight in the eye and began to talk about prayer. Now, prayer to the Jew was a big thing, but not the kind of prayer he was talking about. Because in a few short sentences, Jesus sentenced to oblivion all of the arrogant, self-focusing prayers of the Pharisees, and he introduced a new formula for Conversing with God. It was a formula so revolutionary it was likely to be rejected, ignored, or disputed at best. And to be certain, they didn't misunderstand the tone of what he was saying. Jesus didn't just talk about prayer. Now, a sermon on the subject might have been nice. But the master, you see, was a master at application-oriented instruction. He didn't espouse the theological complexities of finite man interacting with an infinite God. He didn't weave a web of intricate explanations of Hebrew words or give a dissertation on the complexities of spiritual revelation, not Jesus. He looked this bewildered bunch straight in the eye, took dead aim and said, hey guys, when you pray, pray like this. And it's that pray like this that we've been looking at these past few weeks. Our purpose in today's lesson will be to wrap up that study by, first of all, taking an aerial photograph of the whole landscape of Jesus' magnificent pattern of prayer and then to finally fine-tune the focus of our spiritual eyes on His magnificent conclusion. So our title, very simply, Forever Amen. And uh, it'll be in three parts, the prayer... The praise and the postscript. First, the prayer. As we've already noted, the prayer itself was a model of the incredible difference between the mind of God and the mind of man. The mind of God, you see, focuses on character and on eternity. The mind of man focuses on experience and on circumstance. The mind of God focuses on the things of the Spirit, the mind of man on the things that are temporal. The heart of God beats for internal transformation regardless of cost. The heart of man beats for external comfort and emotional pleasure. And so it is with prayer. God wants man, you see, to pray secretly, quietly, submissively. Man wants to pray openly or obviously aggressively. God wants worship. Man wants results. God wants to use prayer as a vehicle to remake man into the likeness of God. Man wants to use prayer as a vehicle to remake God into the likeness of man. So you see, the two are not even close. They're not close because as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than ours. To begin with today, let's just review the principles Jesus outlined for us in those few brief statements. Statements that cut through the maze of our self-righteousness and taught us how to pray. First of all, Jesus instructed us that prayer is a private matter. He told us we weren't to pray conspicuously. We weren't to pray in any way to call attention to ourselves or to our spirituality or to our prayers themselves. So we were instructed when we pray to do so in seclusion to make it a private matter between a man and his God, between a woman and her God. That was issue number one. Issue number two was that Jesus then instructed us that the length of our prayers might actually interfere with the depth of our prayers. He said, when you pray, don't go on and on and on like the heathen do. They think they'll be heard because they go on and on and on. Jesus said, God isn't impressed. Some of the most powerful prayers in the world have been one-liners. Some of the most life-changing praying in history has been done by men and women of few words but settled mind. It's wonderful to set aside X amount of time to pray and it's even more wonderful to do it But it's much more wonderful to pray aright and get up and let God be God in you than it is to go on and on and on just so you can, quote, chalk up brownie points with God. You wouldn't walk into president's office and ramble on and on just so you could leave and say you got to spend an hour with the president. You would plan what you had to say and say it carefully and with respect. Don't do less with God. And then Jesus instructed us further. He said, don't babble when you pray. Prayer was to be an intelligible conversation between the Creator and His creation. It wasn't meant to be an outlet for our emotions or a sideshow for someone's benefit. It was to be a sensible, concise conversation between a father and his children. And then, fourthly, Jesus instructed us that when we enter into the presence of God to do so in all, that we're in the presence of God. He said, pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. O oh, wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, hallowed be thy name. O oh, thou who art our rock and our shield and our defender, hallowed be thy name. King of kings, Lord of lords, hallowed be thy name. We want to scroll quite casually into the presence of King and say, Hi, God. We would have fallen our faces in awe and cry out as we lay our sinfulness alongside of His righteousness, Hallowed be Thy name. Not those words, but that attitude. Oh, holy art Thou God, and worthy to be praised. You see, prayer was to be a personal, private, intelligent conversation between one who is unworthy and the only one who is worthy. Hallowed be Thy name. And then Jesus went on He instructed us that the essence of prayer was to bring our perspective into harmony with God's for one reason, so that we could bring our wills in harmony with God's. And that's different from man's perspective. You see, prayer wasn't to be a mechanical arm-twisting device for self-righteous saints who wanted to prove that they could move mountains. Prayer was to be an exercise in surrender. It was to be man bowing in humble submission before an omniscient, loving God praying, "Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven." That's praying. It's not mailing God a grocery list for him to fill out the present circumstances. It's refocusing the eyes of our souls on the things of the Spirit so that we can see whatever it takes for his kingdom to come in our world as it is in heaven. That's what's best. So one primary reason for prayer is to fall down before God in abandonment that His will be done in your life whatever the cost. That's praying. Praying isn't demanding that God remove that cross that looms on the horizon of our lives. Praying is surrendering to that cross if that cross will best bring in the kingdom. It was for Jesus. It is for us. Sixthly, Jesus instructed us to ask for one day's needs at a time. Keeping in mind that the body of Christ is more than just the little world we live in. More than just the tiny little circumference of our world. It's bigger than that. And so he said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. We're to ask each morning for God to provide for that day what the body of Christ around the world needs for that day. We were to take each day in day-sized chunks and take life a day at a time with the perspective that if some of the body hurts, all of the body hurts. And if some of the body had needs, then all of the body had needs to meet. One day at a time. What a deliberate, specific, practical way to pray. And then Jesus instructed us further that God is waiting to forgive us for our sins. But he lovingly inserted a disclaimer clause which limits that forgiveness to the degree to which we forgive others. In fact, so specific was God that he went into great depth and detail to add, for if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Period. End of statement. Finally, Jesus instructed us to ask him to guide us lovingly as a shepherd carries his sheep. To guide us into and through the tests and trials of life, carefully protecting us from falling into the clutches of the evil one. We were to acknowledge that no test would be ever befall us that such is his common to man, but God is faithful. He would never allow the test to exceed the way of escape. And the way of escape? The all-powerful, all victorious Word of God hidden on the tablets of our hearts. That's the way of escape. So Jesus said, when you pray, pray like that. And then with all the skill of a master surgeon, he wove into the pattern an anthem of praise that lifts hearts to the holy and causes finite eyes to behold that which is infinite. He says, once you've prayed, praise like this. Thine is the kingdom. Father, everything on this earth is yours. You made it. Thine is the kingdom. Father, everything on this earth is yours. You saved us. Father, thine is the kingdom. Every born again child is yours by virtue of choice as well. Thine is the kingdom. You made us, you saved us, you can do with us as you choose. Thine is the kingdom. Praise Him for it. Father, thine is the power. You have the might to go with the right. You not only own it all, you possess the power to control it all. Thine is the power. Thine is the power in creation. Thine is the power among the elements. Thine is the power among the nations. Thine is the power through your word. Thine is the power in the lives of your people. Thine is the power. Whatever you choose to do, you can. Whatever you say you'll do is done. Thine is the power. And dear Father, therefore, thine is the glory. The glory belongs to you. All of eternity will be spent basking in your glory, inhaling your nature, receiving your character, and all of eternity will be spent returning that glory by glorifying your name. Thine is the glory. In other words, the more we learn of who God is, the more there is to praise Him for. The more we come to praise Him, the greater our capacity to experience more of who He is, the greater of our capacity to shout, Thine is the glory. What a God we have. His is the kingdom. His is the power. His is the glory. All praise, all honor, all glory belongs to Him. And beloved, it always will. Because you see, His is the kingdom, and His is the power, and His is the glory forever. His kingdom, you see, will never end. Psalm 10.16 tells us it won't. It says, The Lord is king forever and ever. Psalm 146 says it won't. It says, The Lord shall reign forever. Even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations praise ye the Lord. His kingdom will never end. Hebrews 1.8 says it won't. It says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. His kingdom will ever end. Revelation eleven fifteen says it won't. It says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world are that come the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. You see, His is the kingdom forever. We ought to shout it. We ought to get so excited at the thought of it. Kings, princes, presidents, prime ministers, they try to maintain their little kingdoms for a season. For some a season's two years, for some it's four, for some it's twenty. For a few, their kingdoms last a lifetime or until the winds of adversity blow against it and their reigns may topple. But our king will reign forever for eternity to be measurable, and it's not. Ten trillion times, ten trillion years from now, God will still be on His throne. All of life will bow before Him. Nature will be in harmony with His plan and His purpose. The lion will lie down with the lamb. Sin will be gone. Sorrow will be gone. Sickness will be gone. Sadness will be gone. And all of mankind will bow in submission to the King and those kings and kingdoms who shook their fist fist in His face and dared an omnipotent God to test His strength. Where will they be? Beloved, we won't even remember their names. Even the memory of their kingdoms will have evaporated. Satan will have been banished into his eternal imprisonment and those who shook their fist in the face of God will be weeping and wailing in a literal torture chamber of everlasting punishment where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. But God, He will be reigning, beloved. The King will be on His throne in the kingdom because His is the kingdom forever. And beloved, His is the power forever too. Psalm 66, 7 says it is. It says, He ruleth by His power forever. His eyes behold the nations, let not the rebellious exalt themselves. That means this. It means when this earth as we know it has ceased to be, and when the forces that are wrestling for control of the universe have long since vanished into nothing, an entire eternity from now, if you will. Satan will be gone, his power remembered no more, but the arm of our God will not have been shortened and the might of our God not diminished one iota. The power of God is the constant, unchanging force that sustains our world and all that's in it and he will never lose his power. His is the power forever. His is the glory forever too. That's what the psalmist wrote in Psalm one hundred four, verse thirty one. He said, "The glory of the Lord shall endure forever." Romans eleven thirty six. Paul said, "For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever." That's what Peter meant when he wrote in First Peter three eighteen. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. His is the glory forever. The very purpose of eternity is to give man the opportunity to do what he was created to do, to freely receive the glory of God and freely return the glory of God without the reservations of the flesh. God created time as a parenthesis for the benefit of demonstrating his glory to man, but once the curtain of time has been lifted and the unending, unchanging drama of eternity begun, the constraints of time will be gone. And you and I will experience both the quality and quantity of that existence known as eternal life. A life designed to fully reveal the holiness of our God. Because His is the glory forever and forever and forever. His is the kingdom, His is the power, His is the glory. That's what the writer of Jude meant in verse 25 when he wrote, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, now and ever. Amen. It means that because God is who He is, He owns the right to all of life. It means because God is who He is, He owns the might to exercise that right. And it means because God is who He is, He deserves nothing but total allegiance, total surrender, and total praise. It means that He's designed a whole eternity for us to bask in His presence and worship Him for who He is, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, eternal God. So Jesus said, when you pray, praise like this. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory forever. When you pray, pray like that. And as you live, live like that. Live this life in this world as though this life and this world were what they really are. This life is a fleeting journey that takes but a microsecond in time to prepare us for and take us to our final destination. An indescribable life in an indescribable home in the presence of our wonderful God for all eternity. You see, we lose perspective. What it means is that we should live life in such a way that everyone around us can see that this world is simply not our home. It is not even a place of temporary citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, beloved, and it ought to show. So when you pray, pray like that, Jesus said. When you live, live like that. If you do, there will be at least three things to happen. First of all, your pursuits ought to change. Because if his is the kingdom forever, then why labor for treasures that will perish? Why focus the lens of your life on pursuing things that one day are going to erupt in flames and be gone? For even if everything you were working for were to last for your entire lifetime, and that is presumption, but if it were... And should you, in the process of working for it, lose one-tenth of one percent of the treasures you, were, you, could, you could have been laying up in heaven, beloved, you will have made a horrible trade. Because this world is a vapor. It appears for a moment and then vanishes away. But eternity and the treasures of eternity will be yours forever and forever and forever. One soul touched. One life changed. One heart mended in the name of Christ in the power of Christ will be more valuable to you than the greatest fortune amassed by the wealthiest man in the world. More valuable than the strongest army ever conceived. More valuable than the greatest accomplishments of the most talented of men. So, beloved, ask yourself the question, what are you giving your life for? Something that will not even exist a hundred years from now? Or are you giving your life to something that will never ever cease to be a trophy in the eyes of God? If you pray the way Jesus prayed and you live the way Jesus lived, your pursuits ought to change. Secondly, your perspective ought to change too. For one thing, your perspective of the trials of this life ought to change. They ought to be seen for what they are, heavenly sandpaper taking off the rough edges that just don't belong in eternity, preparing us for a kind of glory that only those that have the mind of Christ can endure. Pain, persecution, and pressure ought to cease to be an undeserved curse in a wicked world and begin to be seen as a heaven-sent blessing from a loving God who takes the storms of this life and uses them to grow the most beautiful flowers ever to bloom in the garden of eternity. Your perspective of life's trials ought to change if His is the kingdom forever. Your perspective of evangelism ought to change, beloved. Because not only if is heaven forever and ever, so is hell. You say, don't talk about that. God does. Boy, does He. Peter spoke in 2 Peter 2:17 of those who are like wells without water clouds carried with a tempest to whom the midst of mist of darkness is reserved forever. In Jude 13 they were described as raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Revelation eleven fifteen spells out the endlessness of an eternal hell when it says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. My friend, you look up the meaning of the word torment, and you look up the meaning of the word forever. And then you meditate on that passage and do a study of Mark nine forty-three through 49. And then you tell me how you and I can live with, live by, work with, walk by men and women, boys and girls every day who have never entered into a right relationship with God and remain quiet. Hell is eternal. Hell is real. And hell is forever. For everyone who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior. His is the kingdom and His is the power and His is the glory forever and worshiping Him that way ought to change our perspective of evangelism. And Finally, that forever and that prayer ought to change the way we praise. Because if His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, you and I have a lot to praise Him for even if our worlds are falling apart. Beside a hospital bed and a graveside. In the midst of a crisis, in the depths of deep misunderstandings, even then we have enough reason to praise God to organize our own personal choir and go out on the street and sing songs of victory until the Lord returns. Sure, the pain is real. But, beloved, the reality of an eternity with no pain is why we sing. Sure, the struggle's hard. But, beloved, in eternity with no sin is why we sing. Sure, the labor's hard and the labors are few, but in eternity at the feet of Jesus, that's why we sing. And, beloved, the times when the sky overhead is the blackest is the greatest time of all to sing. Because you and I have a melody written on the tablets of our hearts that derives its harmony from the spiritual blessings that echo from the very strains of the enemy's taunts. The deeper the valley, the sweeter the music. The darker the sky, the richer the sounds. And Christians were designed for praise. We were designed to glorify our God night and day, day and night, until He comes again. And the more we know we need Him, the more we ought to want to praise Him. And now we know how to praise Him. We can move through our days making melody in our hearts to the Lord singing, Thine is the kingdom, Thine is the power, and Thine is the glory. And more than that, Thine is the kingdom forever. And Thine is the power forever. And Thine is the glory forever and forever and forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory forever. May we learn to pray like that. And may we learn to live like that. In Jesus' name, amen.